0: a series on spiritual warfare I've done in the last 18 months. In fact, we're creating an anthology of spiritual warfare a series called Worlds of Warfare, and this is the third iteration of it. The reason why I've taught so much on spiritual warfare is that I, I, I can recognize the times that we're in. We know we're in the last days, and we've been in the last days since um, May of 1948, because that's when Israel became a nation again after 2,500 years. We definitely know we are after June of 1967 when Israel got back the city of Jerusalem. Those are 2,500 year old prophecies that the Bible sprinkles throughout, well, it makes very clear that in the last days Israel would come back. So we know we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for a while. But we can feel the intensity building of Satan's attacks. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, The Bible says Satan will intensify his efforts increasingly as we get close to the tribulation because, quote, he knows his time is short. And I'm watching what's happening in our world, and you can see the intensity of Satan's attacks. And as pastor of your church, I would be remiss if I did not prepare you to do spiritual warfare in a time of growing intensity. So, for that reason, This is, as I said, the third series on spiritual warfare, Worlds of Warfare 3, uh, that I've done in the last 18 months. But I shared with you in the standalone week that prefaced this series that I had an apology to make and that I got the series out of order. Uh, let 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 me go to a couple of Bible verses and I'll get back to why I got the series out of order. There are two verses that I have felt bracketed the whole concept of spiritual warfare. We see one, as the Bible tells us, that our enemies are never people. The Bible says we never fight against flesh and blood. So if you have an enemy that is a person, I guess it's okay if you don't know Jesus. If, you're not, if you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you, I guess it's okay to have enemies who are people. But if you know Jesus, you have no reason for any human being to be your enemy. So today if your enemy is your husband or your wife and you're a Christ follower, you got the wrong enemy. If your enemy is someone at work or someone in your family or if your enemy is the Democrats or the Republicans, then you got the wrong enemy. It's okay. Now, if you're not a if, if you're not saved, if you're not going to heaven, then that's fine, I guess that I guess I'm I'm not necessarily addressing that, but if you belong to Jesus, our enemies are never people. And I really do believe this is one of the things that's caused the church at large. I don't mean New Spring, but the church at large, if I can speak of it in the generic sense, I think it's one of the things that's caused a lot of problems for Christ followers in the broader culture because too often Christ followers make enemies out of people. And that doesn't mean that people don't do things to create harm. It's not being Pollyannish and pretending that people don't do damage. It's just the Bible tells us that our enemies are never people. And then in that verse, the scripture gives us four designations for demonic powers. So that's the first scripture that brackets our consideration of spiritual warfare. We do not fight against people, but we're in spiritual warfare against basically the angels of the dark side. We We call them demons. On the other hand, we we saw that there is a verse in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the fourth verse, that says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And it goes on to say, on the contrary, they have divine power, that means God's power, to demolish strongholds. Well, the reason why I think it's so important for us to really spend some time, as we have for the last 18 months on this, is if our enemies are never people and the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of our world, if we're not careful, we'll fight the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons. And and the reason why I, I owe you an apology, I should have preached this series first because I think it's really critical that we know what the weapons are because we need to fight with weapons that don't feel like weapons, as you're going to see so very clearly in today's talk. Now, here's the thing. If we fight with the right weapons against the correct enemies, the weapons that we have can pull down strongholds. Well, actually, the the verb there is demolish strongholds. So today I want to talk about Perhaps the strangest weapon. I remember when I first thought about this series and I pitched it to the creative team and pitched it to the worship team. In all those meetings, everyone sat around the table and said, Mark, this is the message. In fact, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. And I got to tell you something else. I mean, there are four weeks of this series, there's one week left after today's talk. I got I finished this message, and I thought to myself, I only got halfway through the message, and I was stressing over that yesterday in my office downstairs at my house, and finally I just decided in prayer, okay, God, I'll come back and teach that fourth weapon I had planned some of the time. I need to preach part two next week. This one is just that big. This is a weapon that's not going to feel like a weapon, and yet it's the weapon that may be the most powerful for us as we fight demonic enemies With the weapons that are divine. (laughs) When I started preparing for this series, to be honest with you, I thought I knew what the weapons were. Prayer, we talked about that last week. Praise. Hey, there are so many great stories in the Bible where God's people praised, even when they were in trouble. In fact, there's that great story when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, where they put the choir out front when they went to battle. (laughs) You know. I think I did a sermon on that when I was about 18 or 19 called Put the Singers Up Front. Still one of my favorite sermons. So I I knew that praise was a weapon. I I knew that fasting is a weapon. It's been a weapon in my life when I've come up against an attack and and I've fasted and God has done remarkable things. So I knew fasting was a weapon. Uh, The the testimony and the blood of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the Bible says they overcame him uh, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But as I was preparing for this series, I was just reading scripture, and all of a sudden, bam, there it was, a surprise secret weapon. I mean, I I know I had to have read that in the Bible many times, but I never really recognized that this could be a weapon against the dark side. Give me a minute, though. Before I show you what it is, I want to make a couple of obvious points. And these are going to be so obvious that you're going to say, Mark, I can't believe I drove this far to go to New Spring to hear something so obvious. But let's just start with these bedrock observations. Here's the first one. This world system has groomed us to have a bad attitude. And I use the word grooming in in a targeted sense because that's what abusers do. Abusers groom, and this world is grooming us to have a bad attitude where complaining is now conversation. Making demands is our way of proving our value. Criticizing others is our way of virtue signaling our superiority. And victimhood has become our free pass to do wrong and somehow be exonerated. We have been groomed to have a bad attitude. That's the culture that we live in. And it's very hard for us not to be affected by it because culture is set up. The culture that we live in now, not the, not the culture that my, my parents, my parents grew up as depression children. My dad was in that World War II generation, not that generation. They, they weren't groomed to be victims. They, they had life way harder than the rest of us can ever imagine. I mean, they were living in a depression where they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. You got 18-year-old boys flying bombers over Berlin. But they didn't grow up with that kind of, of complaining victimhood culture. But we, we live in that and our culture is set up to protect and comfort bad attitudes. There is a silliness in the air and I'm giving away my age by using this term. But the word that comes to mind is prickly. Isn't that, isn't that the way it is? I mean, people are just like prickly waiting for something to offend them because the culture is grooming us to have a bad attitude. In fact, Probably there are a few who are mad at me already because it's like, I think I don't have a bad attitude. <laughs> but I think those four things you said a moment ago, I think they're right. We'll talk about that. <laughs> you know, I, I came across this a little while ago. There, there were some complaints lodged at, uh, about pe- from people who went through the Bridger uh, wilderness And and, I thought I might share some of those with you. The trail needs to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Oh, here's an American. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Please call. <laughs> Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. Now, this one, I think there may be some credit. here. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Okay, take a deep breath on this next one. And just listen to this. The places... <laughs> The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. Oh, boy. You know what's terrible about that? Those are real complaints. The stuff people really said. Well, what's the outcome of a culture that grooms us to have a bad attitude? Weakness. I mean, I just talked about the great generation, my parents' generation. They were not a weak generation. They they did extraordinary things. But the culture that we have today that virtue signals, it's one of the weakest generations in the history of the world. So let's go to the second obvious point. It's true that we're being groomed to have a bad attitude, but who's doing the grooming? Here's the second point. This world system is set up by Satan. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a newsflash to a, a lot of us who had the idea, well, well, God is in charge of this world system. Well, God owns the universe. But listen to what the Bible says. In John 14, verse 40, the Bible calls Satan the, quote, Jesus said, print, he is the prince of this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this age. Colossians 1, 13, the Bible says, we live in the dominion of darkness. First John 5, 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So I want us to, before I show you what this weapon is that is so powerful, this surprise secret weapon, let's let those two things settle in because we're going to need those two concepts to understand our surprise secret weapon. You ready? Here we go. We're going to start unpacking it right now. I'll get halfway through the sermon, and then we're going to have to pull over to the side of the road, and then we will come back next week and finish the sermon. You ready? Here we go. Peter is preparing the church. This is around A.D. 60, I guess. Peter is preparing the church that they were about to go through persecution. Nero is on the throne. Under the reign of Nero, both Peter and Paul will be executed. So Peter is seeing this coming, and he gives them this statement. This is 1 Peter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must, look at this word, arm yourselves with the same attitude he had arm. That's an interesting verb. And just so that we will understand, it's not just a fast and easy translation there. Arm there comes from the Greek word hoplon, which means weapon. And one of the other places, one of the few other places we find this in the New Testament is when Jesus was arrested in John chapter 18. The Bible says that the soldiers came with lanterns and weapons. Same word. So basically, here's what the Bible says to those of us who are Christ followers, weaponize yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. Well, now, here's the thing. We know a few people who use their attitude like a weapon, but that's not what the Bible is talking about here because clearly Jesus had, and we'll talk about next week, the kind of attitude he had, he had a right attitude. So someone could say, well, Mark, are you telling me that a right attitude is a weapon? That sounds like a passive thing to me. In fact, oh, gosh, I don't even, I don't even know why I'm saying this. I probably won't say this in the other services. Maybe, maybe just somebody needs to hear this today. Some of us are Christ followers. We have a bad attitude, and we think we have to have that bad attitude to defend ourselves. And people tell us we have a bad attitude. No, it's if I don't have this bad attitude, people just roll right over me. But the word of God tells us that if we have the attitude that Christ had, we are actually weaponizing ourselves against the dark side. And so we can say, well, Mark, I just do not understand how having a sweet, kind, gracious, loving, forgiving attitude, I don't see how that could be a weapon. Well, then remember what the Bible says. Scripture says the weapons that we use are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can we grasp it? I'll say this over and over for the next two weeks. It is so simple to grasp this, but it could be our toughest issue. I've been a pastor for 44 years. I'm in my 36th year here at New Spring. All those years of pastoring has taught me something. Christians will tend to buy into a lot of challenging things. You can tell Christians about the importance of prayer, and they'll say, Yes, I don't feel like praying, but I can see the importance of it. You can tell Christians, hey, you need to read the scriptures because when you read the scriptures, you get God's word and God's word will teach you and help you and empower you. And Christians will say, well, I don't necessarily feel like reading my Bible every day, but I'll try. (laughs) I've even discovered in the few messages I've taught on fasting that there are Christians who will actually perform the discipline of fasting. But many of those same Christians will basically, they won't say it in these words, but they'll basically say by their attitude, don't mess with my attitude. I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I'll give. I'll tithe. But don't mess with my attitude. There's nothing wrong with my attitude. And I I get that. It's human nature for us to feel like our settings are in the right place. Because when it comes to attitude, attitude is kind of like where our dials are set. And even though we may not be perfect, which we're not, we feel like our dials are set in the right place. And so it could be that during this message, you'll hear this message and you'll just say, I just don't think I need any work on my attitude. But there's a question you and I need to wrestle with. Is there a stronghold in our life that we want to come down badly enough to where we'll take a look at our attitude? Let's start here. You and I need to think about something that's really challenging. The enemy is the enemy, but I could be the problem. That's one of the most important things I'll ever tell us. Satan is the enemy. His demon armies are the enemy, and he's the enemy. I'm not the enemy, but I could be the problem. In other words, something in my life could be standing in between me and being effective in this spiritual warfare. So with that out of the way, let's go to work for a few moments. I want to give you four thoughts, and then we'll be halfway through the sermon, and then we'll pause, and I'll come back and preach the rest of it next week. I don't know, maybe we'll get three today. We'll just see how far we go. Here's the first one. Let's ask the question, what is attitude? We use that term a lot. We say, well, someone has attitude, someone has a bad attitude, someone has a good attitude. What is attitude? What exactly are we talking about? Here's the answer. Attitude is the filter through which we look at the facts. I want you to think with me for just a moment. In your sphere, maybe in your family, where you work, among your friends, I want you to think about somebody who has a good attitude, and then in that same sphere, I want you to think about someone who has a bad attitude. And I think most of us can do that. I mean, you know, if you just think about your family for a moment, you, you, you think about people. They're in they're in the same sphere, but somebody has a good attitude, somebody's got a bad attitude. Somebody at work's got a good attitude, somebody at work's got a bad attitude. Now, here's the thing: they see the same facts, but they look at those facts through different filters. You guys are familiar with photo enhancement software. I mean, we can do anything with filters, can't we? We can change, we can darken, we can take color out, we can put color in. We have all these distort filters. What a term. But the same thing is true in the spiritual and emotional realm. I mean, for instance, uh, let's just talk about a bad attitude that I have. I, I, I look at life, often the facts, through the fear filter. And, and, and so oftentimes the way I look at the facts is shaped by worry. Hey, I would so love to have back all the days I've wasted worrying about stuff that never happened. But in my mind, my worry told me those were the facts. See, attitude is a filter through which we look at the facts. I mean... There's the pride filter. If you, if, if you know anyone who looks at life through the pride filter, isn't it interesting that no matter what happens, no matter what the facts are, they find some way for it to be a referendum on them? Maybe I should have used the term insecurity instead of pride. Have you ever noticed? I mean, tell somebody a story, and instantly they go to how they feel like it might reflect on them. And when you know someone who has a truly what we call a bad attitude... What happens is the facts are rewritten into lies. Now, if you've been with me throughout the whole series, you know what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a lie that begins to be believed as true. So consequently, a stronghold comes down to this attitude issue. I i got to be honest. I'm just going to be perfectly honest about my own life. When I first saw this in the Bible, I thought, God, how can attitude be a weapon? And then I told Mary Alice, I said, you know what? Almost all the damage that Satan has done to me is he's done it to me, luring me in to have a bad attitude about something. Watch this. Do you know anyone that you would characterize as having a bad attitude? Just get that person in your mind number one, this is a given. They believe lies. Number two, they usually tell lies. But the most dangerous thing is they begin to believe that lies are facts. And I, some of you are working with someone who has a bad attitude. You, it, it may be someone at work. It may be A kid, it may be a friend, it may be a spouse, but sooner or later, if you're dealing with someone with a bad attitude, you're scratching your head because you're like, can't they see the obvious? And it could be the answer is no because the filter that they look at the facts through is so distorted that now the facts are not the facts anymore. And I I say this because a lot of you are leaders, your managers, your owners. I I lead a large organization. You know, if you see me typically as a primary communicator at Newspring, the other five and a half days of the week, I'll lead a large organization. Here's my experience as a leader I can fix just about anything but a bad attitude. And I, I, I'm the kind of leader that I want to make sure I never lose anybody. I, 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 can, I can fix anything but about it. If someone doesn't have enough talent, then I'll, I'll get them some more training. I'll, I'll, I'll put them with different leaders. I'll, I'll try to change their job description to put them in a place of their strengths. And I, I just learned in all these years of leading a large organization, I can fix anything but a bad attitude. And many of you are leaders. And you've hired someone and they had immense talent, they had great headroom, they had great capabilities, and you just thought, I'm hiring this person, this person's going to take us to the next level. And yet when you get them, you find yourself pulling your hair out and trying to figure out how to get across to them what you need to get across, but the problem is you can't because that person believes lies are facts. Everyone else can see, but they can't. To them, they're right, and everybody else is wrong. They are smarter than everybody else. Well, that's no surprise. The Word of God called that a long time ago. In Proverbs 26, verse 16, the Bible says, In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. I like the message even better. Dreamers fantasize their self importance, they think they are smarter. Now, here's where I am in this sermon. I don't have that kind of bad attitude, but I have to ask, is it possible that my view of the facts has been filtered by fear? Let's just say fear. I talked about that a few moments ago. Is it possible that my view of the facts has been filtered by pride, anger, negativity, I know sweet people, good people. They don't have a bad attitude like I just described a moment ago in Proverbs 26, 16. But it's like something bad is going to happen. It may be good today, but it's going to be bad tomorrow. How is it going to be bad tomorrow? I don't know. It just will. It will find some way to be bad. And you know, that's not the facts. But to that person, it's the facts because they have the filter of negativity. Okay, that's the first thing. What is attitude? Attitudes filter through which we'll look at the facts. Here's the second thing. In spiritual warfare... Satan is all about takeover. This is really big. And I'm not talking about demon possession here. I'm talking about you and me. Satan is all about takeover. He wants territory in our lives. He wants to capture territory in our thinking. For instance, I mean, he wants to capture what you do in entertainment. He wants to capture uh, your relationship, communications. He wants to capture territory. Here's the key. Satan will do his work in your life without being asked. Because he's all about takeover. God is not about takeover. God is always about choice. The word of God says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I mean, Jesus is not about taking your life over. Listen to what he says in Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens the door, I'll come in. In John 10, verse 1, Jesus said he's the good shepherd. He comes in through the gate. God will not force his gifts on anyone. Satan, on the other hand, is all about takeover. You see this in government, education. We're seeing it happen in churches today. We see Satan taking over and the redefining the basic structures of life. I mean, as we get closer to the tribulation period, it is interesting to me to watch how that the very foundations that God set up in Genesis chapter one, Satan is doing his best to invert. In the beginning, God. Well, some time back, about 100 years ago, the idea is that God's no longer a useful hypothesis. God does not exist. In the beginning, God created. No, God didn't create. We're all part of cosmic role, random rolls of the cosmic dice. God created the male and female. And we're watching that change today. Satan's all about takeover. We could talk about that today, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. You and I have a much more urgent issue, a much more personal issue, Satan wants a hostile takeover in my life. And he wants a hostile takeover in your life. And he will take every inch of territory that we give him. His target, our thinking. His objective, setting up a stronghold attitude in my life. His strategy, to convince me that the facts are not what God says they are. And here's the thing if I leave the door open just a little bit, he'll take that territory give you an example. This is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26. The Bible says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Look at this line. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So here's the thing I have to understand. If I, if I get so angry that I just, like, let it grind on me and let it stay there, even though I haven't invited Satan to come in, I've left, a, don't left the door open. You know, I'm talking to a lot of us here today, and in, the, in this broadened concept of attitude, in which attitude is a filter through which look at the facts, a lot of us look at our lives, and there's, there's some attitude problems with things like anger, or negativity, or lust, or worry. And, and we deal with it, and we don't want it. And it was like, how did this get into my life? I didn't ask for it. That's because Satan will do his work in your life without being asked. All that has to happen is we have to leave him some space. Okay, here's the third and final thing I want to talk about today. And we'll pick this up next week. Let's talk about fighting back. Because you and I understand where the battle is. We know that the Christ-like attitude is a weapon that just kicks Satan all over the playground. And we understand that we've been groomed to have a bad attitude. How do we fight back? Well, let's start here. Remember, weapons tear down strongholds and we're to arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus. How do we get there? I've been excited about this and nervous about this for months now for I'm gonna, what I'm going to say right now. Having a Christ-like attitude it's the easiest thing in the world, and yet almost nobody will do it. You see? You see my point? And that's why I've been nervous about this, because I, it's, it's so easy. Any of us could walk out of here today and deal with this right now, and yet so few people will do it. And yet for those of us who attitude in some fashion has caused us trouble, we could turn our lives around. Instantly. I mean, there's some of us here who've messed up relationships. And there's a problem that just keeps cycling. You could deal with that today if you're a Christ follower. There are some of us who have had problems at work. Those problems could evaporate <laughs> like a little bit of water on a Kansas day when it's 100 degrees today. I'm so excited about how many people watch us from prison. So many wonderful stories. You you could be watching me in prison today, and your life could turn around with this one thing. As I said, it's the easiest thing in the world that almost nobody will do. But I have hope because you're New Spring, and I know New Springers are a little different. So it could be that a whole bunch of us today will be open to this. To figure out how to do this, we need to go to Jesus. He's our commander-in-chief, and he's the one who, who gives us what we need to know. Jesus tells a story. And in Jesus' story, there is a dad who represents God, and he's got two boys. And I'm guessing they're in teenage years, maybe a little older than teenage years. But one of the boys is kind of bad to the bone. And so, basically, he comes to his dad and basically says, I don't want to wait till you die. Well, let's read this. Luke 15, 12. I want my share of your estate now before you die. Whoa. Whoa. How about that for attitude? (laughs) A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money in wild living. What is his attitude? When he goes to his dad and says, I'm so sick and tired of living here. I want all my money now, and I want to leave. What is his attitude? If you had to sum up his attitude in two statements, what would it be? Number one, and by the way, again, the dad represents God. You are wrong. I am right. Why else would he say, Give me the money, I want to go live my life my way right now? God, you are wrong. I am right. But in Jesus' story, the boy hits bottom and bounces. I mean, the next thing, he, he wakes up one day and he doesn't have any money left and nobody will give him a job. The only job he can get is feeding hogs. And he gets so hungry that he started to reach down and get a handful of slop. And it was at that point that he came to his senses, Luke 15, 17. He said to himself, at home, even hard servants have enough food and to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you you? What was his attitude? You are wrong. I am right. And he did the one thing that almost no one will do. He did a 180 and said, you're right. And I am wrong. 44 years of pastoring the best people in the world have taught me that most people will not say, I am wrong. Now, they'll say, I did something wrong. But they won't say that their settings might be wrong. Hey, what I think about people is right. If they did what I want them to do, they would do the, That's the kind of stuff we won't change. Somebody could be listening and say, Mark, this is an all right sermon, maybe even a good sermon. I know someone with attitude issues who needs this. (laughs) Well, yes, as a matter of fact, you do. You know me. I've been honest with you about this. Fear and worry distorts facts in my life. So if you don't need this message, just pray for me. Just pray for me. Maybe there's someone here today who would say, God, you're you're right and I'm wrong and uh, my insecurities have just rewritten the facts in my life. And God, you're right. I do tend to look at everything as a referendum on me God, you're right. You tell me to have faith. And you tell me in Romans eight twenty eight that we know in all things you work for good. But, God, my negativity has just changed all the facts. And, God, I, I believe your word that a powerful weapon against the enemy is attitude. And, God, I, I'm going to start looking at the facts the way you tell me they are. It is the easiest thing in the world, and yet most people will never do it. I've come to the point that I am in this sermon and counseling many times. And I've actually had people, you know, I've shared with them what's going wrong in their lives, that if they would just change their thinking about this, it, it would be like they would be on one side of the river and they could see the other side. And then I've had them say this to me, I can't. But that's a lie. I mean, basically, when we say to God, I can't have the attitude, I can't have a forgiving attitude, I can't have a loving attitude, I can't have a caring attitude, I can't have a faithful attitude. When we tell God we can't do that, that's basically like saying, okay, stronghold, Satan, you win, come on in. There's no sense in me fighting. Mary Allison, I had to fly to Florida. Couple of weeks ago. And we got over to the airport. Mary Alice had done the arrangements, and Mary Alice said, uh, Mark, we have one flight we're not going to be able to sit together. But she said, I bet when we get to the gate, we can talk to the gate attendant and they'll work it out where we can sit together. But we got busy talking, and when we got to the gate in Atlanta, we'd forgotten to talk to them about it, so we realized we weren't going to be able to sit together. She went and sat on her seat, and I went a couple of rows back. And, and as I was walking to my seat, I saw there was a, a gentleman there, very athletic-looking gentleman. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned, you know, back in the old days, you know, you get on the airplane, you talk to everybody. But today, people can be prickly. Did I say that? It's like, don't invade my space by saying hello. So, <laughs> so I'm a little more cautious today. But this guy, with a big smile on his face. Just, you could just see there was joy all over him. He said hello to me, I said hello to him, and we sat down, we talked for a few moments and a little discussion about where are you flying to, you know, we're flying from uh, Atlanta to Panama City. And and he asked me and I said, Well, I've got a pastor friend down here, he and his wife and my wife, we're gonna spend two or three days together. And and uh, I asked him, I said, well, is Atlanta home? He said, well, yeah, but he said, I've started the day in Miami. I had to have some physical therapy done and I'm flying to, back to Atlanta. And then I'm, he said, I'm meeting my wife. I'm a baby girl down in Florida for a few days of vacation. So we just chatted for a few moments. And then it, it, it hit me that he had said he was in Miami for physical therapy. And I said, um, are you dealing with some kind of physical illness? I thought maybe he'd had back trouble or injured a knee or something. I mean, by this time, he and I got to be friends. His, his name was Laquan and, and just this great guy. And so I asked him, I said, you know, you said something. I don't think he would have told me the story if I hadn't asked him the question. He said, well, I was shot 15 times. And I have to tell you that he told me some of the story. I've read a lot more of it in news articles. Laquan was valedictorian of his class. In 2015, this guy who'd been valedictorian of his class was in the United States Navy, had just come back to the United States, got a job, bought a brand-new Camaro. He was on his way to Bible study on a Wednesday night, pulled into a grocery store parking lot, And he told me the story. He said, A couple of kids came up, demanded my wallet and my keys. I gave it to him instantly. He so said, I turned to walk away, and they shot him four times in the back. And then, as he was lying face down on the asphalt, they came and shot him 11 more times. It was a gang initiation. Quan gave me a bunch of pictures. I mean, one of the pictures I have, I was just showing it to some of my friends here at New Spring. One of the pictures shows an x-ray of his spinal area. Four of the bullets are still in there six years later. He lay face down in the parking lot for a long time. He sent me a picture. Someone snapped a picture of him lying face down. He said, it's amazing what people will take pictures of these days without asking for help. They got him to the hospital and... His mother, by this time, had gotten to the hospital in the emergency room, and a priest came to comfort her. The priest put his hand on her shoulder and said, he's dying now. (laughs) One of my favorite parts of Quan's story, he said his mother took the priest's hand off her shoulder (laughs) and said, get your hand off me. I'm a woman of God. I'm praying, and that's not what's happening here. And he went through so many surgeries. He was in the hospital for two months. There was a spinal cord injury. I mean, I think bullets had crushed his ribs. He lost a kidney, he lost half his liver and half his intestines. And when he left the hospital, they told him he might probably never walk again. And she told me the story. I was in shock. Because the thing that attracted me to him is he had the most wonderful, joyous attitude. I mean, I didn't even, he, didn't even t- he wouldn't have told me those things if I hadn't said, what are you having physical therapy for? I was reading some of the news stories yesterday afternoon. I thought I knew most of the story, but I came across a news story where he was being interviewed. You want to hear what he said in the interview? For those of us who struggle with having a bad attitude, it's amazing to me that some of the people I've met who have the most trouble in their lives have a joyous attitude, and there are so many Americans who really have a pretty good life, but because some little quirky thing won't go right, they're a victim. Listen to what Quan said. Along his journey, Laquan has had a lot of time to reflect on the dramatic turn his life took. Though he was a victim of a random act of violence, he never latched onto the victim mentality. He isn't angry. And doesn't dwell on why me. Instead he feels in some odd way this was his calling. He shares this has put everything in perspective. I was made for this. It was meant for this to happen to me. I don't know what the purpose of it is. Well, I told him. I said, I think God's calling you to preach. But that's for (laughs) We've gotten to be friends since that. day. I keep telling him that. But listen, here's what he said. But my steps were ordered. I am strong enough to handle this. And the article ends this way. Quote, with a big smile and a grateful heart, he says, Some things may be out of my limits now, but there are still so many things that aren't. I intend to live my life to the fullest. I got a text from him about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. I read it again before I came out here. Pastor, thank you for praying for me. And then these words, all is well. All is well. You and I are being groomed to have a bad attitude, but Satan is doing the grooming. We need to really recognize that. Now I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to talk about how to build a Christ like attitude in our lives. So please come back next week. This is just half time. But could we come to the place where we take a hard look at ourselves, whether it's fear or anxiety, insecurity, pride, lust, whatever, that's changed the facts into not being facts anymore. And could we look at heaven and say, God, you're right. I am wrong. You could turn things around in a heartbeat, and then you would have the power of God to tear down strongholds. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I got to tell you a little more of the story. When Quan and I were talking, it's you know how it is in the airplane setting at the gate. And then taxiing around, we were just kind of chatting, and he was telling me this story. And, but we got to the place where we knew we were about to take off, and you know how it is, you know, both of us getting our iPads out and getting ready to read whatever we're going to read. And I'm, I'm actually in the process of putting my Bose earbuds in. And Quan said, Pastor, let me tell you one more thing. He said, I wasn't saved the night I was shot. and he said i lay there on the asphalt and before i lost consciousness he said i begin to cry out help me jesus save me jesus and he said instantly all the fear went away you can't live this kind of life by yourself you have to have jesus christ in your life You have to be willing to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And when he comes in, he will forgive you, he will save you, he will write your name in the census book of heaven, and you will become God's child. Sometimes we call that being saved. It just simply means we have invited Jesus in. And Scripture says, just like Quan lying there, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to have this step in my life. I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord then I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'll pray each line very slowly, and, and I'll put a little gap in there so you can decide if you want to say this to God. You don't have to say it out loud. So here we go. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I know we're in overtime. Could I have one more minute? If you just pray with me, I have a gift box for you. It's got a Bible in here, just like I preach from. Also a book I wrote, some journals, some other cool stuff. Free will not cost you a penny. All you need to do is come by and pick it up. And, if, and here's the thing. Just take your phone out, if you have a smartphone, and text the word, one word, prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, 97,000 and any info center here when you see the blue and white signs out there any info center here will have this for you if you don't have your phone with you just say i pray with mark that'll work thank you for being here halftime next week part two once again thanks for listening if you live in wichita the surrounding area we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services for directions service times and information about our incredible kids and student environments visit us at newspring.org one more time newspring.org.